This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. All right, Jeremy, hi. Um, To make life easier, we have a special guest whose name is also Cliff. Hello. So no I don't know if you're referring which Chris, one. I don't know. Yeah, like I number Chris number one, Chris number two. Deal. Or maybe we go with Wilterdink and Cummings. Perhaps, yes. Chris Cummings, we're so glad that you joined us today for our youth worker recharge. Thanks for the invite. Yes. Thank yeah. You. Thank you for carving time. It is really important though, before we get into the topic of the day, I feel like I need like one of those like old newscaster things like breaking news, right? Like uh we have an update. On the Wednesday Adams saga, um, Chris, would you like to share with uh, with the rest of the class the my, good news? My very non-climactic announcement is that I have watched season one, episode one of Wednesday <laughs> on Netflix now. So this is amazing. I, I have Chris. invested 50, 50 minutes of my life to get into that show. Oh, plus the dance, plus the dance, which the is a dance. couple minutes long. So. What do you think, Chris? As a purveyor of all things teen wisdom, uh, uh, I want to see where it goes. I okay, think cool. I think it's very telling that social media is such a central aspect of Wednesday's roommate's life. That her identity <laughs> is about blogging and about like yes, you know, yeah. So. That's a huge element in any prior incarnation of Adam's family stuff that I was not aware of. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. But I mean, what did you think of the overall vibe? Like, can, do, you, do you have a sense of like, why does this hit resonate right now? Like what feels right or different or good to you? Like if you were a youth pastor, would you immediately tell everybody they're going to hell because they were watching it? I mean, like just any, any kind of, I would not, I don't know yet. Any no. link bait. Uh, I would never tell anybody that they're going to hell. One. Okay. Two. Okay, right. Um, both of my kids are in elementary school. I have, a, well, a middle school. I have a sixth grader and a third grader. I'm not sure they could watch it yet. Right. Like I think it's for mm-hmm. high schoolers. I think if you're a youth minister and you're doing this show or trying to reference this show, probably safer to do that with your high school crowd because the themes that it deals with are that level. I don't think that they're middle school or junior high level. Is that enough to satiate you for the day? I suppose. Oh, fine. Okay. What if it's designed it's a little for high school less, level? It's a little less enthusiastic. Oh no, I, I, my middle schoolers, my middle schooler watched it and she loves it. But yep. I'm, I'm a horrible person, apparently, <laughs> according to <laughs> Chris Wilterding. Yeah. Uh, On well, the Wilterding scale. Well, Tim Burton, Tim Burton is also a part of it, right? So, like, if you're thinking, right, no, about, for sure. Um, those themes and that way of filming and sort of like setting a table for a mystery and that kind of stuff that that is certainly there and yes chris cummings i heard you and i think you're exactly right even though if it is marketed or created for young adults or high school you can bank on some of your middle schoolers watching it i'm just saying i probably wouldn't end up screening it in the fellowship hall that's fair no yeah (laughs) but definitely Uh, a sermon illustration right uh, 100 yeah yeah and and i think I think that's an important thing. I, I, uh, I don't know if I should just come out and reveal myself as a complete weirdo, but I have, I have a novel that I have written and 
tried to get published many, many times and that hasn't happened. But um, in my quest to do that and like submitting to all these publishers and stuff, um, one of the things was that whatever grade it is written for, right, whatever age level it's written for, the subjects have to be the the age above that. Yeah. That and sense. so uh, because kids read the experiences of kids um, <clears throat> at the next stage of development. That's what they're interested in. It's always and aspirational. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And so you've got to be like having these like older characters, but also thinking of it in the like, oh, these are younger readers reading the lives of these older characters. Uh, like like Harry Potter is middle grade, which is, you know, older elementary tween geared at the, at the beginning and then it ages up with the the characters so it's uh it's really interesting so that's like all of these shows right if you see high school students in the shows most of the time the target audience is middle schoolers um yeah i i I don't know as i was getting started well at full-time youth ministry how disappointed my middle schoolers were to have me explain to them that high school musical was not actually how high school is um they're gonna be very on the high school does it really don't no. you dare. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. We we have talked pop culture. Sorry. Um, I think, you know, we, we've got a special guest today. And and Chris, um, do, do you just mind kind of introducing yourself, letting everybody know, uh, you know, sort of where you call home and, and what you do these days? Yeah, absolutely. So I, as they mentioned, I'm Chris Cummings, uh, born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm actually fifth generation Nashvilleian. So we do exist, but we are very rare. Uh, They're working on a zoo exhibit for us uh, just because so many people have moved to Nashville. You can't meet someone who's from there anymore. Uh, Do you have a demo tape, though? That's the real question. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Just just for people to to like, they want to, just like Uber, you can hire a Nashvillian uh, just to like walk with you and tell you (laughs) how it used to be like this until people moved here. Uh, Yeah, For sure. Um, so grew up in Nashville and loved doing sports, ended up playing college football, uh, went to Tennessee tech and then fell, found my call into ministry and did youth ministry for gosh, 16 and a half years, something like that. And you were like every senior pastor's dream youth candidate. You're an inspirational (laughs) football player. Like they hired. It gets better. Who also played guitar? You're the actual. Oh, jeez, man! I like. Obviously, you got a sweet gig in youth ministry. Uh, uh, Well, uh, ironically, I'm not in youth ministry at the moment, (laughs) Uh, and that's part of what we could talk about that too as well. Um, But yeah, so 16-ish years in youth ministry world, uh, both from super rural context to super suburban to a little bit of suburban, rural, or urban type stuff. Um, a lot of different contexts, a lot of different sizes of churches, including church plant um, and everything in between. So a lot of different random experiences. Went to seminary. Um, so I, I'm ordained in, in the United Methodist Church as a deacon. Um, so all of that too. My wife is as well. So we are a pastor couple. Uh, she and I did children and youth ministry in different churches for those 16 years. She's currently still at a local church and I am not. So yeah. that's the short yeah. version. Yeah. And, and that, that uh, really sets the table well, Chris, for, you know, kind of why the invite was made and how the connection is going to go today. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you carved some time out to be with us because, 
Um, looking at the landscape of ministry, right, especially for those who are serving youth ministries, uh, there is a ton of burnout right now. It, it is as hard, almost as hard as it's ever been to be in youth ministry at the local church because we're after the pandemic. So things did not look like they did before the pandemic. And even then it was hard, right? Um, so you've got these factors that are that are just sort of making ministry, leadership, and life tough. And you're somebody that I've known for a long time. You're somebody that I respect a ton. And I'm super grateful that you're willing to kind of jump into a conversation about the factors that were just kind of happening in life, right? Because um, they happen to us all. We we get married. We have kids. We um, have parents that are aging. You know, all these things that that tend to go on. Um, to have this conversation about the factors that sort of led to you being in a place as an ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church that has said, you know, I'm I'm going to do something else for a little bit of a season of my life because I need to not be in the local church right now. And and honestly, it's not an easy conversation to have, but I think a really important one for some people to be able to listen into because there's a lot of people trying to figure out if staying in the in youth ministry and in the local church is the right way to go right now or to figure something else out. Yeah, I just wish it was like a relatable conversation we could have. Right? Today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I hey, I I would love to ask you sort of an initial question. So you, yeah. you've had a little bit of time to process this. How long have you been in away from church ministry? About a year and a half. Okay. So yeah. you've had time to process this. So, right. There's always the, like, <clears throat> when I talk to people who've gotten to a place where they're like, I need a break um, from church work. Um, there's always these sort of initial, you know, straw that broke the camel's back kind of things, right. For one specific place. But after you've been out of the game for a little while, you generally can like go back and say, you know what, actually it really started back here, right? It started, it started with these other things that may or may not have like led directly to the things that made me decide that that was the moment. So I'm curious, like as you've had time to process, what are those things that like were the precursors that maybe even at the time you didn't realize were leading you down this path, yeah. but ultimately were the first sort of like uh, winds of change for you. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, those are things. Um, so I started therapy when I left the local church, I probably should have started it before. So just a heads up for everybody there. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, you should do it. Uh, if at all possible, if not, just find a small group that you can connect with. Um, uh, but yeah, so processing all of that for the last year and a half has definitely been what we've been doing. Um, and so one of the first things that he had me do was list cause I was frustrated, angry, a lot of things. Cause like you said, it could be one thing that happened and you blame all of this on that. Right. Um, and so he was like, just list everything that you're mad about. So it's a long list. Um, <laughs> and he was like, cool. Okay. So each of the things you're mad about tells you about something that you value. And I was like, what does that mean? And he was like, you're mad because it's going against something that you value. Mm. And I was like, okay. And he was like, so take your list and with everything you were mad about, what do you value? Why did that like, why? And so it came mm. down to like, I'm really like value, like focus on like, like relationship and discipleship and like, not, not a production, not a like numbers game, not a whatever, but like literally like the relational discipleship piece was like really passionate um, and different pieces like that, but also like working on a team that wants to be a team together and not just like 
out there by themselves, uh, but like collaborative and different. So there were different pieces like that. But I thought that idea of like taking what you're angry at, which is probably really easy to name, and then sitting with it for a bit to say, okay, so what do you actually value? And then taking the list of values from there and saying, mm-hmm. these are what you are really care about, if you will. Um, but that goes back to like, but I had to do that to get all the way back to the like, okay, this is why I was frustrated here. This is why I was frustrated here. And I could never name it until right. it kind of gave me that switch. So for you, it sounds like there was, there were sort of recurring things that happened at different places. Yeah. So each context, it wasn't like I left every context mad each other right. than the very last one. It wasn't, I wasn't like mad. It was just like, it's time. Um, right. um, but it was each time there was something that I was like, okay, I think this makes more sense now. Um, mm-hmm. So each of those pieces looking back was like, okay, this was what was happening here and here, but it was the, so I, I think it's easy for me to express what I'm mad at. Um, mm-hmm. but not take that next step. And so for him to do that was like super eye-opening for me. And has I've been able to talk to some friends about it and they've been like, well, I'm gonna go do that now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What and what do you mind sharing specifics? Like what what are some yeah. of those early things that were that were that started to like bother you and bubble up within you that ultimately Got sure. you to the place of like, yeah, I'm out. So one that. of the bigger ones that is true across the board, including just like denominal, denominationally and just like church-wide, um, mm-hmm. was in the local church or the system of the church becoming more important than the kingdom of God. So we're okay. like so passionate about like making sure this system that we came up with survives. We forget about what God's up to. <clears throat> um, and so we kind of flip the importance of those two. Um, so that one was one that came up over and over and over, but looked different every place, if that makes sense. And how how do you, can you give us a, for instance, n- not necessarily from your direct experience, but like, how does, how do churches do that? Like, how do they, how do they do value the system over? <laughs> yeah. W- give us an example of valuing the system over the kingdom. Well, um, money is a really good way to pay attention to that. So if we're willing to like spend thousands of dollars to repair a building um, and don't look outside our doors to see how we can help people like literally around the corner. um, An example of that would be spending hundreds of millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads to tell people Jesus isn't that bad of a guy, as opposed to churches actually living out that Jesus was pretty cool. Um, Nobody would do that. No, that's I'm just making up stuff. Um, So different things like that. Yeah. Money, I think, was one Um, just like attention. Like if we're paying attention to like, well, how many showed up this week as opposed to like, well, where like tell me a story of how God was in uh, was like active within uh, somebody in your small group. Um, Those are two very different questions. And one is about are we growing? number wise and one is about are we growing disciple wise mm-hmm. that type thing yeah so there yeah. were different things along the way but those that was a big consistent one um that yeah, and, even and ironically my way. therapist agrees with <laughs> <laughs> when well, and i was going to say and in a way you know like that systemic way of thinking sort of reinforces some of those things right like if yeah. you think about any of the church forms that people might be asked to fill out often those are about attendance or those are about giving units Mm -hmm. and and, you know that that's that's one that that was really personal to me when i was at the local church was 
oh my God, like we're, we're talking about people as giving units as opposed to like talking about them sure. as people that this feels weird yeah. that, that, that uh-huh. that's where the language is. And that language yeah. communicates something about how the church sees people that are engaged with their ministries. Right. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and it's hard. Cause it's like, if we've built a system that requires us to see people as that, then maybe we need to start over or we need to like try mm-hmm. differently or, and like, I understand I'm saying that outside of the local church right now. <laughs> right. Um, but it's things that like you can do that without like blowing it up. Like there are definitely yeah. some interesting and creative ways you can do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's hard because you're also like, well, I want to get their information so that then I can connect with them. Okay. But then, yeah, it's like, what's the ultimate goal is kind of like, what are we pushing at is what I always like struggle with one way or the other. So yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, all right. So uh, one of the things that you mentioned in your introduction was uh, you and your wife, right? Like basically we're a clergy couple. You had two uh, adults married and trying to work in full-time ministry at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, how has the shift away from having you both in full-time local church ministry work uh, been in general? Yeah. Uh Weird. Is the first word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we were both often at the same church too. Not always, but like often it was together. And so we were both working way over our like allotted time, both of us. Um, and then when we would talk, like hang out at home, when you say, well, how is work? Well, one, you know how work was. Uh, but two, you just keep talking about work. Um, so mm-hmm. you always had to figure that out too. So it's been really weird um one not being in the exact same context as like careers um but it's been weird going from two full-time people to one half-time person at a local church um and it's been weird for me to go to a church and not be in charge of anything or be expected specifically to do anything yes 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 um it it's both freeing and very weird um, I don't like it's the word that keeps coming up is just because it feels off. Right. Like, oh, well, I, I'm supposed to do that. Oh, no, I'm not. There's nope. people that can do that. <laughs> There's it's like the mic's not on. And you're like, oh, should I get up? Unmute? Yeah. Oh, wait, no, I can, I can fix. <laughs> and like the one thing helping me. So within all of this um, and part of the transition was we had a, a kid um, mm-hmm. who's incredible, but it made me realize how much I was working. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so part of it was I this isn't, I need to step out so that I can figure out what's next and allow me to actually also be a present father um, and different things. And so that's what I get to do on Sundays now is just hang out with him. And it's weird, but it also is a good reminder of like, I don't need to do the thousand things because I just got to hang out, get to hang out with him. So one of the conversations that really gotten into a couple of times, um, you know, has been about, uh, how strange it is to not be needed at a church on a Sunday morning. Um, you know, when, especially when you're like transitioning off staff, you know, if, if somebody has been in youth ministry for a long time, and if somebody's married like, like you and uh, Joanna are, um, if you're not both staff, you know, oftentimes your spouse ends up coming to the church where you're on staff as well. And sometimes there's some real weird expectations that also goes with like, oh, yeah. oh hey, you're the spouse of, uh, you know, our youth person. So obviously you're going to be at all the youth stuff too, and we don't have to pay you for it, um, which is a whole 
you know, issue into and of itself, right? Like it's not oh, wrong. expectations on our spouses at all. Um, but for, for many folks, if they end up getting out of professional ministry, all of a sudden they're church shopping for the first time and you've been behind the curtains. So it's like, you know, you're not going to get all the answers that you want to get about a community by visiting a Sunday morning worship service. So how has that process been, right? Like, are, are you kind of still connected with a local church in any way for your own discipleship or, or how has church shopping looked for you? Yeah. So it's been interesting. Um, I haven't done so much church shopping as just like allowing myself to kind of breathe a little bit. So for the first little bit of Joanna starting her new church, um, we just hung out at home for a bit. Um, man, talk about something odd, staying home on a Sunday. It just didn't compute. Part of it was pandemic based, but it, like, it was still very confusing just in my like gut of like, um, wait a second. <laughs> um, but within that, because of what we have gone through, through these like 16 years, the church she applied for and got the job for, she had a whole lot of questions for them, which was not something we'd necessarily done before when we had applied to jobs. Um, so she vetted them pretty hard before even saying yes to the job. <laughs> um, and obviously we were on the same page with a lot of those things. So it felt very good, like being like, okay, with how they responded and have subsequently been, it's felt very comfortable being a part of um, that congregation. Um, and literally up until like the last week, I haven't done a whole lot other than just be, be around. Um, I've helped with some little stuff and like, I'll, we're currently meeting at a school. Ironically, we're at another church plant, not church plant. Um, it's a hundred year old congregation that lost their building to a tornado. Um, so they're at a school right now and they were like, well, I don't know if anybody knows how to run church in a school. And we're like, God is funny sometimes because our last church, uh, was in a school because it was a church plant. Um, so there's stuff like that, that I've been able to jump in on, but like the emotional toll of like, okay, I need to cater to this person and this person and this, uh, committee and this blah, 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 isn't there and it's it's definitely different um but it's also like i have to be way more intentional with my own personal like growth and discipleship mm. and like finding people to do that with um, sure so that's been interesting too so you know one of the things that i um i hear from people who get to this place of like kind of making the decision or, or like on the edge of the decision to to kind of get out of uh, church job wise. Um, like I've had almost <laughs> had almost this identical conversation with multiple people where they'll say, yeah, I think I don't want to do ministry anymore, but I'm not qualified to do anything else. Right. Like I've done, you know, you did 16 years in youth ministry like like that's all of my experience that's all of my history like uh you know and especially if once you get a little bit older you start having kids there's like financial obligations and you say i can't take a like entry-level job in some new field so like a did you have that experience and then b how did you process through that like yeah how did you get to the other side 
Yeah. So there's a lot of things there. That's a great question though, because I think that is a huge stumbling block to be able to like step out if you need to step out. Um, is like, well, where am I stepping? <laughs> um, right. Like, I'm not attractive enough to be an Instagram influencer. No. Right. I so, mean, like, no. what else? So, <laughs> and I got good lights and everything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't fix anything. Um, yeah. So, it's you definitely. So, one thing, this is a side conversation we don't have to go down. I think in the future, it makes a lot of sense to be bivocational. Um, just in general, anyone on a church staff, because of that question, it'll allow you some different opportunities to feel like if I'm in a place where I'm stuck, you can step further into a different direction. Um, obviously, that's not a like, let's do it now. Super easy. Uh, that's a big question and conversation. Uh, but I think long term, that's something to like chew on um, to kind of have some of those things in your back pocket. One of the things I had is uh, for fun, I started woodworking. I learned from my grandfather growing up when I finished seminary, I knew I would either work more or I needed a hobby. So I started just cutting stuff up and seeing what happens. Uh, started with pallets because I was a broke seminarian uh, and pallets right. were free. And free, then, yep. um, well, I was able to, when I left the church, lean into that. And I had built up like a little bit of a following just like, hey, isn't this cool? I made this. Um, so that has worked out well. Plus my undergrad was in marketing. So I've also done marketing and some other stuff with that too. So I had things to lean on. Neither of them were like super solid. Um, and I definitely panic applied to like five jobs right out the gate. <laughs> right. No, for sure. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. And like the guys interviewing me were like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm not sure. Just like, how soon could I start? Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so that's it's real uh cuz I left pretty quick when it was time and so that it felt a little worried um but I'll be honest if it didn't go down the way it went down I probably would have just kept drudging through. So there's something to that too um that looking back it was helpful I needed a kick for mm. what it's worth. Um but yeah, I definitely think so have you been able to replace your church income based yes. on freelance stuff? Yeah, I have. Part of that is churches don't pay very well. Uh, but also <laughs> uh, but also just connections and having had a couple things that I've been doing on the side, uh, mm -hmm. was able to just really lean into and um and kind of figure it out. It hasn't been perfect. It has been the most financially stressful I have ever been because it's self-employment. And so right. you're paying your own insurance and you're paying your own whatever. Um, but also I have been the most free to just be a dad and a husband. And that's been super cool. Um, so that's, it's kind of hard to trade. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that too, because for, you know, people that start in youth ministry, often their trajectory and their history is kind of the same as yours, right? Where, um, you know, maybe somebody feels a call or experiences a call when they are a young person. And then, yes, you do some undergrad stuff, you go to university or go to school for a little while, and then you just, you come right back and you're in it and, um, you find yourself not necessarily knowing anything different. Uh, and so then as you have these life stage pieces happen, right? Like if you happen to get married and, and fall in love, if you happen to become a parent, um, you know, those are huge things that change the way that you look at ministry. 
Um, and uh, a lot of the conversations I get into with youth workers that are feeling burnout because they are working so many hours because they're not seeing enough um, benefits from time off or insurance or not being paid very well by their church. Um, these conversations come up and, uh, you know, part of what I think I've always tried to do is just to try to at, help them ask good questions, um, you know, about what they would like to be doing and and what their, you know, calling could look like. And so, you know, one of the other pieces I feel like I would miss out on if I didn't ask you about it was, you know, what, so, so you still had that experience of that calling. Um, what does that calling look like now? Because obviously like, you know, not being at a local church, it doesn't mean that you don't still get to be in ministry in some way. Yeah. It's to look really different. So I don't know. How, how is that calling for you right now? Uh, one, I really appreciate that question. I'm going to come back to it, but I had one more thought on the last yeah, question. Do it. Um, for those who are like, well, I don't have any other skills besides ministry. Uh, I'm just going to tell you now, if you're in youth ministry specifically, you're incredible at social media. You probably built the church website and run all of their sound and audio and video. <laughs> you do. <laughs> there are so many things you already do that are other jobs. <laughs> yes. You're you're good if you like think outside the box a little bit. Um, yes, and, that, and that's really helpful. Yeah, and and if, to follow up on that, if I can lean into your marketing self a little bit, yep. some of it has to do with language, right? Like yeah, exactly. you feel like you're How limited you because the church talks about it this way. Yeah, but if you think about okay, social media skills portfolio and how business people would use language related to that, if you're trying to put together a resume look for ways to adjust the language in your resume and your experience that, you know, use business language as opposed to church language. I think that's one of the barriers people run into sometimes when they're trying to shift professional gears. Yeah. hundred percent because leading a team of volunteers is leading a team. Mm -hmm. So if someone's like, Hey, do you have any experience leading team? Uh, yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. Just, yes. You don't have yeah. to qualify it and be like, well, they were volunteers. Do you know how much harder it is to, organized volunteers than someone who you pay and like have like you have to do this because you signed up for it thing yeah right <laughs> you're way better at it <laughs> um so yeah that shift in perspectives is really important um but to the call question yeah. um i will tell you this has been the one that has been the hardest to chew on um because there's this idea of like especially when you feel because everybody's called in different ways and for different things um especially if you feel called to the local church in a lot of ways, um, it feels hard if you're not like in it, like doing the things, it just feels different. And so like, that's been one I've been really wrestling with um, because I think it's like shifting and morphing to like how I'm seeing what God is like pointing me to and pushing me towards. Um, it's one of those funny things of like, so I'm helping with some different people in marketing um, it just so happens that everyone who has found me up until now, it's been around um, how do we help people learn and grow in understanding of like race um, and diversity and actually like uh, growth in that aspect, yeah. um, which I think is really important and like what God is up to and like God's here for all people, uh, not just white people. And so it's just really interesting to be like, okay, as much as I'm just like, well, I guess I'm just marketing. God's like, mm -hmm, sure. Yep. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so there's definitely pieces of that too. Um, but also getting to kind of get to choose where I feel excited and like in the local church specifically. Um, so one of the things I've always been passionate about is just the hospitality arm of the church. Yeah. Um, we're not great at making everyone feel welcome always. 
Um, and that's not only just our messaging, uh, but literally when you walk in the door, how does it feel and different things like that. Um, we so I've always done that. And it, I don't know why people don't understand. I, it's all in there. Didn't you get the email <laughs> this week? It has. No, I'm done. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's a piece that I'm like, I guess, like poking at right now and seeing how I can be helpful. Um, but it's also weird dancing around it like, OK, well, I'm not on staff, so I don't have to do any of this but I feel like a passion towards it. So that's, so so it's just a really interesting dance within all of that as well. So, yeah, I'm still figuring that out as the official answer. (laughs) You know what? I'm pretty sure that's how God works, right? Like I I think that there's this invitation to a lifelong journey, right? And just because this was the calling and this was the answer 15 years ago, that doesn't mean that I'm called to exactly the same things now, you know, and and I, I worry for people that keep themselves just, you know, sort of stuck in the same uh, cycle of behavior and expectations and church roles and anything else, because they're worried to keep talking to God and find out what God's up to now, right? Like, not an easy conversation, but really important ones to continue to be a part of. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. So while we still have you, uh, last thing, I would be absolutely beside myself. If I forgot to bring up one of my favorite things that you did while you were in ministry at the local church in the Nashville area, uh, and that was Youth Pastors Anonymous. Um, So can you, um, for people that have never heard of that before, talk about the idea. We don't talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) Rule number one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But how'd that thing come to be? And why is it such an important thing once upon a time? So the funny thing is we always joked Youth Pastor Anonymous was different than other support groups uh, because we tried to keep you in something, whereas most support groups try to keep you off of something. Um, (laughs) But outside of that, it came out of the idea that ministry is very isolating. Um, You end up in your island of your local congregation. Maybe you have a denomination that's more connected, like the Methodist Church. uh, And so you have some outside connections there, but it still feels very isolating. And so... For very personal reasons, I just gathered people together that were doing the same thing and said, we should start talking about this because I think we're dealing with the same stuff. And so we just got in a room and started talking uh, very quickly, learned, hey, we will joke about a lot of things and never say anything. Uh, So we added a little bit of structure around it and just kind of said, here is the one topic of the day. Uh, No one is going to lead it. We don't have speakers and no one makes a presentation. Uh, And if you do, you're kicked out. Those are kind of the rules we had. I only kicked out two people um, <laughs> and it's because they knew the rules and didn't care. Um, but it really was like, so we talked about like, so how did, how do you connect with parents? Like that was a topic. And so everybody just showed up and they're like, God, this is something that I struggle with a whole lot. And someone was like, I've been trying this and it works okay. And someone's like, I've been doing that, but like this and everybody. And so it was just like group think. Um, but then the other half of it was like, are you like, how are you really doing? Because this is a safe place where we don't always have safe places to be checked in on. Because if you're like, just tell people in your church, well, I'm not doing great because I'm really struggling with it. That may not go well, um, depending on who you're talking to. (laughs) I might go back to pastor and say some things. Um, Or the pastor may not take it very well. Um, So it's really helpful to have a space like that. Um, so yeah, we would just get together once a month and talk about it, but it was really helpful to have those spaces and do those things, um, in really like helpful ways. Um, and you were a part of it too. We just had a blast. We would go to lunch after a lot of times. 
Well, I, I, I do remember that uh, often I was allowed to come if I bought lunch because there I, was that. Yeah. If you were an organization, you could buy lunch. <laughs> you still couldn't present unless it was at lunch that you were paying for, uh, which was separate from. <laughs> but it got us a lot of free lunches. It was a really healthy rule. I'll be honest. With you. Um, and, you know, one of my other favorite parts about that um, was how ecumenical that was. Right. Yeah. Like It was not like this is the Methodist youth pastors anonymous. Like it was like, listen, if you're in, if you're in ministry with young people in our community, we need to be talking to each other. And um, that was something that I really, really appreciated about youth pastors anonymous when, um, when it was really cranking and, and going along. Um, The other thing that was cool is one of the topics we did was like, well, how do you train your volunteers? And that became like this multi-month conversation. And we were like, what, each of us has like a different passion. What if we trained all of our volunteers from all of our different denominational churches at one thing? And so we put together a, a training day where everybody brought their teams. We were able to bring in a speaker that none of us would have been able to do on our own. And then each of us taught a breakout session about the thing we were passionate about to any of our leaders. Um, it was awesome. I yeah. think it costs like $10 a person, like, cause it was just us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like crazy cheap. And then we had, because we weren't with any specific organization, all the like publishing houses and different organizations just gave us free stuff mm-hmm. uh, to just give away. Um, and no one had booths. I was like, you can have a bag, like we'll have a bag and you can send us stuff. You can't have a booth. You can't speak. You can't. It was really, some people didn't because of that. Uh, but it protected us from like the sales pitch piece and yeah. just allowed us to just like be like, hey, you're doing great stuff. Here's some free cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When And the other part I want to just make sure to leave off on is, is that highlight of how lonely it can be. Um, mm-hmm. I, I see it in youth ministers. I see it in worship leaders. Uh, I, I see it in church staff kind of across the board. So having some kind of community that you can laugh about things with, cry about things with, complain about things with that aren't in the congregation where you're serving is it, so huge. And, and yeah. if you want people to be able to hang in there for a while, um, so important to their life cycle in the church. Um, 100%. Yeah, yeah, just the connection of you're not alone in this and the feelings that you have are not isolated. There are other people that understand what you're going through um, in any context, but specifically when you are giving your everything and your calling and your passion and your time and your life and everything and often your money, it's helpful to know you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the perfect thought to leave our uh, recharge uh, at the end with today. Chris, man, thank you so much for taking a little time out of your afternoon. Give all my best to Joanna. And I'm so glad that you've got an awesome kid and and he is very fortunate to have two amazing parents as well. So thanks for thanks, hanging man. Out. Yeah. He, he is a lot of energy. So we're, we're figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> but he's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Chris, thanks again. And uh, prayers to all the youth workers out there that there's an amazing week ahead. Absolutely. Thanks guys.